0: I call forth healing for all of our bloodline generations forward and back. I call forth healing for our soul wounds. I give thanks, honor, and respect, to the ancestors for using me as a vessel to give voice to your life, your struggle, your journey, and your contributions, the resilient souls, the suffering souls, the strong and righteous souls, our African ancestors, to the men, women, and children who survived the wicked conditions of the Middle Passage and endured the torture of slavery, I honor whose shoulders I proudly stand on, the healers, the granny midwives, the herbalists, the conjurers, the artisans, the tricksters. I call on you to continue to strengthen us, guide us, and teach us. Your wisdom and gifts are welcome in this space. There is room at the table. Becoming a culturally competent herbal practitioner involves learning about and speaking the truth about racial history and oppression. It involves understanding how this oppression carries over and is institutionalized today. It involves learning about and stopping the practice of microaggressions in your life and clinic. Also, recognizing the relationship between race, ethnicity, culture, and poverty in access to and use of healthcare in the United States. It might involve offering sliding scale treatment options for people of color in your clinic or listening to your clients with an open mind to hear their stories. It also involves referring to an herbalist or practitioner of color if you are uncomfortable with these issues. In this episode, I'm going to share an article from the Herbal Guild, volume 15, number 2, autumn 2017. The article is about cotton and the history of cotton in the United States. It's written by Karen Culpepper. Karen L. Culpepper is a Chinese-American and descendant of enslaved Africans in the U.S., or DEAUS. She is a clinical herbalist and licensed massage therapist. Karen Culpepper is the founder of the Maryland-based clinical herbal practice, Embracing Rhythm. Karen's herbal interest centers on ways in which the energetics of plant medicine can support deep healing. Her particular focus areas are intergenerational trauma and its impact on physiology and womb restoration. Within the intersection of historical trauma of the African slave trade and womb healing, her study and knowledge of cotton root bark offers a powerful perspective on the role of plant spirit healing in the context of political changes and reproductive resistance. Karen and her budding apothecary can be reached at karenculpepper.com or klcccollective.com. Now for the article. In 2007, my plantation herbalist ancestors used cotton root bark to send for me. I remember the day so clearly. Class had just let out at the graduate school where I was studying herbal medicine and a voice said Said to me, Seek and ye shall find, dear one. In a three-year program, only one 75-minute class was dedicated to the herbal contributions of Black and Native American peoples. To add insult to the harm, the lecture was not even led by an expert in the field. It was a class discussion among peers about an article in a packet. The herbal contributions of enslaved Africans and indigenous peoples of this country were overlooked and minimized. From that moment, after class, many parts of me resisted the remainder of the program. For the next two and a half years, seeds of white cultural narcissism and the dominant white culture of herbal medicine attempted to take root in my psyche. I angrily declared that I would write my thesis on the one pearl that I had harvested from that article in that single class about Black and Native American herbal contributions. Gossipium species, cotton root bark, Malvasiae. I also made two promises to my ancestors and guides in that moment. First, I promised to write an historical monograph on cotton root bark to amplify its use as a symbol of empowered choice and reproductive resistance among enslaved African women. Second, I pledged to use this writing as a way of de-centering whiteness in herbal medicine through counter-storytelling. And so, my research journey began. Part of the reason that I feel it's important to share this article in its entirety is because I have made a promise to my ancestors that I would spread awareness of the plight of enslaved and oppressed people. I have made it clear that I am a black person. I briefly mentioned in a previous episode that I have indigenous ancestry as well. And that is something that is very meaningful to me. But because I don't know the specifics on like my tribal affiliation and that whole thing, it's difficult for me to really honor those traditions because I don't know what they are. But I do feel a strong, a deep connection to the land. which is why I chose to be a homesteader. I have 13 acres of land. It is the place that I think is just the most beautiful and most peaceful place on earth. I love it, love it, love it. So my promise to my ancestors is the reason why I think it's important to share this article. Some parts of the article are very difficult to hear, but I think it's important that the truth about slavery is Known. I think it's important to share the hard, disgusting truth of what slavery in America was like. The statements I make on this podcast are for educational purposes only. My statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. Therefore, The statements I make are not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All of the information I share is simply for informational purposes only. You should always consult with a licensed healthcare professional before you start taking a new vitamin, supplement, medicinal herb, or conventional medication. You should also get professional advice before you start a new exercise program or if you suspect that you might have a health problem. Knowledge is power. I hope you use the information I share with you to seek the best care for yourself and the people you love. Thank you for listening. The richness of oral tradition and the trauma of slavery. Many cultures and herbal traditions were established and continue to be maintained in the sacredness of oral tradition. The absence of a written tradition does not translate into a group being devoid of culture or a rich herbal legacy. The unearthing of the long-standing and established use of cotton root bark among African women before the Middle Passage was quite a task because it lived in oral tradition and collective memory. I am thankful I was divinely guided to the information. Within a week of doing research at my institution, I had literally located every fragmented piece of information on cotton root bark I could get my hands on, and soon realized that I had outgrown the library. Over the next year, I invested in a research assistant who had access to the Lloyd Library and Museum in Cincinnati, Ohio, known for its extensive collection of resources in botany, medicine, and pharmacy. However, this research did not serve because the information was primarily about the fruit of the cotton plant, not the root bark, nor was it through the lens of enslaved African women. Over the next two years, my hopes began to wane. In February 2010, three months before graduation, I was in Harlem, New York for a health conference to receive symposium credits for school. It had snowed the day before all along the East Coast. As a result, the usual four-hour drive from Maryland took eight hours, and even worse, when I woke up the next morning, I had a $150 parking ticket because I did not see the snow-covered markers on the curb. In that moment, I realized that anger and frustration were my teachers. Transformation was about to occur, and a blessing would come forth. I heard a voice say, you are right where you should be. You are not here for the cause. Conference. As one day of the symposium was enough for me, I searched for a library to get some work done. The closest library just happened to be the Schoenberg Center for Research in Black Culture. With the help of a gifted librarian, a search strategy was developed and keywords became a fertile ground for resources. The floodgates had opened and I cried tears of overwhelm and gratitude. For two days I gathered information on herbs and the development of the new area of practice among herbs medical doctors, called plantation medicine. Dots were connected between the dark history of allopathic medicine and the decline of granny midwives. I collected maps, census information, and diary entries on the harvest schedule of the cotton crop, which was literally a year-round task. Accounts of enslaved women who put their physical bodies on the line for the sake of self-care and respite from the horrors of slavery began to surface. One story told of a woman in South Carolina that, quote, fled to rattlesnake-infested swamps rather than stay on her brutal master's plantation, end quote. Another scenario involved an enslaved woman named Margaret Garner who escaped from Kentucky to Ohio with her husband, their four children, and a group of slaves. The runaways, unfortunately, were surrounded in a house in Ohio where Margaret decided she would rather kill herself and her kids before returning to the plantation. She successfully slit the throat of her little daughter and was apprehended before slitting her own throat in the throats of her other children. These stories began to illuminate the trauma and suffering caused by the institution of slavery which warranted the use of cotton root bark as an abortifacient for enslaved women to exercise their right of autonomy over their physical and spiritual bodies. The research debunked some firmly fixed cultural stereotypes about Africans and black people. The information helped dismantle untruths about Africa, exposing the lies claiming that the continent was devoid of culture and that African people were ignorant, incompetent, childlike savages that were inferior subhumans suffering from cultural amnesia once they arrived on American soil. The fact that people chose death over remaining enslaved speaks volumes to the horrors of being enslaved in America. This woman fled to rattlesnake-infested swamps rather than to stay on her brutal master's plantation, and a mother was willing to take the lives of her children and her own life to avoid going back into slavery and avoid having her children live through that trauma. Being enslaved here in the US was bad enough but could you imagine the horror of being a free person in Africa and being kidnapped and forced onto a ship? That's what this next section is about. Transmission of African knowledge to the Americas. Within African cultures, there is an interconnectedness with the plant world and all living things which had a soul and a place in the world. This interconnectedness gave people a sense of identity and belonging. Slavery and early religious colonialism severed the physical connectedness of Africans to the land. As slave traders began to tear apart families and strip people of their homes, they reported cases of women swallowing African soil as they left their native land on the perilous journey across the Atlantic. A detailed description of the Middle Passage is found in Africans in America, The Terrible Transformation. In the section titled The African Slave Trade and the Middle Passage, a typical Atlantic crossing took 60 to 90 days, but some lasted up to four months. On the slave ship, people were stuffed between decks in spaces too low for standing. The heat was often unbearable and the air nearly unbreathable. Women were used sexually. Men were often chained in pairs, shackled wrist to wrist or ankle to ankle. People were crowded together, usually forced to lie on their backs with their heads between the legs of others. This meant they often had to lie in each other's feet, urine, and in the case of dysentery, even blood. In such cramped quarters, diseases such as smallpox and yellow fever spread like wildfire. The diseased were sometimes thrown overboard to prevent wholesale epidemics. Because the small crew had to control so many, cruel measures such as iron muzzles and whippings were used to control slaves. The catalyst for the transatlantic slave trade was the acquisition of free labor coupled with the knowledge of crop production. Certain colonies in the Carolinas brought slaves from very specific parts of Africa to cultivate Oriza sativa, rice, which had been grown in Africa for thousands of years. Likewise, knowledge about the cotton plant and the use of cotton root bark dates back to Mandingo, or Mandinka, women, using the root of the cotton tree which grew in parts of Africa, which was used as an abortifacient during the first trimesters. Of pregnancy. The desire for motherhood does not mean that African women shunned birth control. They had the knowledge of using extended lactation, ritual abstinence, abortion, and other forms of contraception. They may have wanted to control their fertility during droughts or famine because these were stressful times to begin a pregnancy. This supports the idea that slaves brought along with them their own traditions, values, and existing knowledge about herbs and their use in healthcare and including for terminating and preventing pregnancy. In parts of Africa, tree cotton provided the most abundant source of cotton. Quite naturally, the knowledge of cotton root as a medicine was easily transferred to the cotton fields of the south. So apparently, the people who were stolen from Africa had a lot of important knowledge about the plants that grew there, and that knowledge was transferred to the Americas when they were brought to America as enslaved people. The article mentions tree cotton, and I just want to make it clear that there are lots of different species of cotton. The one that was commonly grown in America was called upland cotton, or Mexican cotton, Gossypium hirsutum. It was likely the species that was being grown on plantations during slavery times. This species is native to Mexico, the West Indies, Central and South America, and also Florida. So this upland cotton, or Mexican cotton, has been improved for fiber production, and it's become the most widely planted commercial cotton in the United States. It's 95% of the crop. But much of the native stock of upland cotton has been wiped out in a misguided effort to control the boll weevil, which is a beetle that feeds on cotton buds and flowers. So it looks like in Africa, women knew about the health effects of using cotton root bark from tree cotton, and it's likely that when they came to America, that knowledge was transferred, and they used the native cotton here in America for the same purposes. Plantation health care and reproductive care. Because plantation owners often did not provide adequate care, black self-care was an underground phenomenon within the slave community. In fact, Folk medical beliefs survived through oral narratives, sayings, and superstitious beliefs told in this rural community. Remedies and recipes were passed along through an oral tradition, circulated secretly through the slave quarters, and were passed down privately from generation to generation. Some plantation owners permitted slave women to tend to the ill because of the common belief system and respect toward tradition. Some plantation owners even acknowledged that black doctors sometimes Produced better results than white practitioners, and there was even a case in which a governor emancipated a slave for revealing his secret for treating venereal disease and yaws, which was a highly infectious disease caused by a spirochete. With slave women already claiming the role as herbalists and keepers of sacred recipes and remedies, they naturally fell into the role of being caretakers and midwives among their peers in the community. Midwives embodied tradition and occupied a high status in the slave community because they delivered babies, provided other forms of health care, used African methods which had been handed down from generation to generation, and acted as an intermediate between the secular and sacred worlds, as the babies that they delivered were seen as gifts from the ancestors. Many women were able to identify the various plants, roots, and herbs. They knew how to harvest and collect them, as well as how to prepare them for various types of ailments. Midwives were able to cross race, class, and gender barriers, and often envision themselves as simply the vessels that God had designed worthy to fill with the practical and spiritual knowledge about women's bodies and childbirth, serving both their slave community and whites in the community. This is quite a contrast to the insulting stereotype that African Americans were dirty, slow to learn, animal-like, potentially unsafe. Safe and needed to be continuously watched, and exposure to scientific knowledge about female physiology would stimulate an African American midwife's propensity to mischief and evil. The Dark Roots of Allopathic Medicine. In 1807, Congress passed a bill abolishing the importation of slaves into the United States, which took effect in 1808. To plantation owners, this meant that future labor would have to be supplied from the offspring of Existing female slaves. As a result, many masters resorted to breeding slaves and established breeding plantations. Women's health concerns were very common among slave women, from menstrual discomfort to amenorrhea with vaginal discharges to the common prolapsed uterus, possibly a result of multiple births. Enslaved women suffered under the tridimensional oppression of race, class, and gender, which included intimate violence, and reproductive exploitation. The rise of modern medicine on the plantation was an additional source of torture and trauma. White medical practitioners developed an exclusive branch of medicine for enslaved Africans. This was called plantation medicine, and it was developed because they felt Africans were not the same species as whites. They were especially keen to bleeding and purging of Africans to cure them because persons of African descent had a high tolerance for pain because they were less than human dr james marion sims the father of gynecology restricted his research to african-american women yet all of the illustrations depicting his research feature white women. Even though anesthesia was widely available, he did not use any. Doctors routinely performed and perfected cesarean deliveries, you know, C-sections, on enslaved women without using anesthesia. On some plantations, slaves were often required, in some cases against their will, to receive the treatments of white doctors. These forms of institutional racism reinforced the necessity of enslaved Africans to take health and well-being in to their own hands. In this way, plantation medicine forced the survival of African-American folk medicine, specifically in the realm of women's health. White physicians who took their commands from plantation owners had a single goal in mind, save the slave mother if her life was at risk because she could always produce more property, i.e. offspring. In one case, after an unsuccessful attempt at a birth using forceps, two physicians destroyed an infant's skull and removed the brain so that its head would pass through the cervix and vagina without injury to the mother, permitting her to recover within a few days. The history of conventional medicine in America is a history of brutality and atrocities committed to black enslaved women. It is so horrible to read about some of the things that these doctors did. Even though these stories are hard to hear, I think it's important that we hear the full truth of it because that's how you can really understand the decisions that these people had to make and why a woman might decide that she'd rather not have a baby, that she'd rather terminate a pregnancy using cotton root bark than to give birth under slavery because she would go through horrendous physical torture at the hands of white practitioners who believed that women of color didn't feel pain in the same way that white people did. I think it is difficult to hear about horrible things happening to newborns during delivery or to women against their will by people who call themselves doctors, but I think it's important to hear these things because we have to know why these women made the choices that they made. At this point in our history, we have come a long way, but we have so much further to go. If our goal is equality in healthcare. Reproductive Resistance and Cotton Root Bark. During the 1930s, a collection of oral histories was compiled based on interviews with formerly enslaved people through the Federal Writers' Project of the Works Progress Administration, or WPA. Found in some of the WPA narratives from Texas, the state that currently produces the most cotton in the U.S., ex slaves recounted their experience with cotton root bark. Former slave Dave. Byrd stated, quote, I believe if slavery would have lasted much longer, the Negro race would have depopulated because all the Negro women, they had become wise to this here cotton root. They would chew that and they would not give birth to a baby. All of their masters show did have to watch them, but sometimes they would slip out at night and get them a lot of cotton roots and bury them under their quarters. If they could just get enough of that root to do what they wanted it to do, End quote. Cotton root was used as a contraceptive by chewing on the fresh root bark. To induce the abortifacient properties, the root and seeds were used in a decoction. As the word about cotton root began to spread to white doctors, they began to use viburnum prunifolium, or black haw, to stop the contractions of miscarriages or abortions already in progress, until physician W. W. Durham noticed, quote, at one period in my practice, the Negroes used the cotton root so frequently to produce abortion that my supply of black haw became exhausted, End quote. It is not fathomable that the supply of black haw could keep up with the bounty of cotton in the plantation south. Cotton root was also used to induce labor and stimulate contractions in childbirth or to bring on tardy menstruation, specifically in amenorrhea and dysmenorrhea. As a result of its use, along with the use of a myriad of other herbs, slave women not only established the efficacy of cotton root bark, they also expanded the herbal pharmacopoeia in the U.S. Editors note, the use of cotton root bark today is recommended to be under the guidance of an experienced herbalist. Overcoming the Inheritance of Slavery Slavery was an institution established on the foundation of power, torture, rape, white supremacy, and the lucrative act of trafficking of human souls. As a result, of epigenetic inheritance and intergenerational transmission of these traumas, the literal and energetic impact of these soul-level wounds runs through our veins as both descendants of Africans enslaved in the U.S. and as descendants of slave owners. To not acknowledge the herbal contributions of slaves and to not recognize and honor the human contribution to science through unjustly treated black bodies is to be dismissive and cause harm. Arm. To name just a few examples of what we must acknowledge and recognize, the enslaved women whose bodies were brutalized on this soil in the name of science, the immortal Gila human cell line used in scientific research, which was taken from the womb of a black woman named Henrietta Lacks, and the male victims of the Tuskegee syphilis study, experiments which lacked informed consent and spanned into the early 1970s. As a reminder of how primitive and prejudiced ways of thinking are alive and well today, a 2016 Washington Post article reported research showing that present-day medical students believe Black people have less sensitive nerve endings in thicker skin and that physicians are more likely to underestimate the pain of Black patients compared to other patients. This report brings new meaning to the ongoing struggle summarized in the phrase, Black Lives Matter. I have been in non-judgmental, non-harmful spaces with herbalists, healers, traditional practitioners, practitioners of color, and culturally competent white allies. These times were truly magical, safe, and futuristic in scope. I also recall an incident where a budding herbalist of color made a comment about cultural appropriation in an online herbal forum where the resulting display of white fragility, mob mentality, and microaggression toward the herbal Of color from so called prominent herbalists was downright distasteful. This incident was witnessed and discussed by communities of color, and harm was experienced. There is deep work to be done in this country around acknowledging and naming the ongoing multi generational impact of slavery, a resonance that is particularly evident through disparities in access to health care and the ways in which black and brown people are perceived and treated. Treated as patients, there is also deep work to be done within our herbal communities around oppression, acknowledgement, exploitation, and cultural competency. As herbalists who are somewhat apart from institutionalized healthcare in the US, we are in a unique and beautiful position to bring cultural competence to a healing space. I stumbled upon this article because I want to do an episode on the healing benefits of cotton, using cotton as an herbal medicine. I had no idea when I was doing my research that cotton root bark was used as an abortifacient. So that is something that I learned while I was reading this article. As someone who is pro-choice, I can even say I am pro-abortion because I think there are circumstances when it is necessary. And even when it is not necessary, if it is the person's choice, I support them in that. I think it is so empowering to think that enslaved women who did not own their own bodies had found a way to take back that control and decide when they would give birth, when they would allow their bodies to carry a pregnancy. I think that is so powerful. And regardless of where you stand on abortion rights today in 2022, I think you have to appreciate how empowering it is for somebody to take that control of their body when society and everyone tells them that they have no control, they have no rights, that they are simply property and they will be used in any way their owner sees fit. I support that wholeheartedly and I am proud of them for taking that power back. I think some of the stories in this article are deeply disturbing. There are some things that are difficult for me to support, like the story of the woman who chose to take the lives of her children and herself to avoid slavery. I can understand why someone would make that choice, but I don't support that decision. I have a lot more that I want to say about alternative medicine and about healthcare in general. I thank you very much for taking the time to learn more about the history of cotton, about one of its medicinal uses, and about the history of enslaved people in America. Thank you very much for listening.